Happy 4th of July, everybody. It's me, Tim Young, here on the No Things Considered podcast. Again, I want to take a break today from politics. We got enough of that, and plus I hosted radio this morning for SiriusXM, so I really am, uh, I'm all politicked out today. But what's better than politics is drinking and friendship, and uh, one of the best, coolest people that I've met over the past year is Randy Prossy. He's the head of the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. He used to also organize the Kentucky Derby and uh, a lot of events at Churchill Downs. We get into that in this conversation today. It's a really good conversation. He's a very, very interesting and intriguing person, and I think it's somebody that you guys would like to hear from. So with that being said, here we go. Randy Prossy, head of the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. Joining me from his man cave right now, and it is a fabulous man cave, if you can see all that bourbon in the background, is CEO, not CEO, president of the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, uh, Randy Prossy. And I, I just, you've got a very... You have an incredible cabinet that if you had better than a webcam uh, to work with right now, I would have you go and give us a tour of. But we are drinking something very rare right now, both of us, without doing any kind of advertising for Maker's Mark. Uh, we happen to pick these like very similar bottles. Uh, Randy, show us what you're drinking, and then I'll show everybody what I'm drinking. And the lighting makes the label a little hard to read, but I will try. Can you see it? It's the FAE01. You can at least see that, right? Yeah, a little bit. Um, and uh, that is what is in my glass, an actual Maker's Mark glass. Is that ironic? You're above and beyond me right now is where that is. And, 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 I, don't, and I don't mind giving a little extra love to Maker's Mark this year because they are giving us a lot of extra love and we can talk about that. But uh, we love the Maker's Mark folks. I, listen, I think... And I've been drinking Maker's Mark for years. I think that 2021, they have something, I don't know what they, if they put crack in their water or what that they're using out there from the, you know, their, their source, but their products this year have gone above and beyond because you've got FAA01, which I have hoarded, by the way, when you find these bottles, I don't go crazy when I'm in one place, but if I find them occasionally, I will buy another one. I ended up with five bottles of FAA01 because it's such a good juice, but another one that I have three bottles of um, is this limited edition Maker's Mark Cask Strength 46, which again, both of these products, I, look, we're not getting paid for this. You know, Randy, Randy is kind of the ambassador for bourbon with the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. I just like drinking and I like drinking things that are incredible. And I'm a huge fan of, uh, a lot of people know I'm a huge fan of like Weller and Weeded Bourbons. You can't find those because of the allocation game that's gone on. Right. These you can find. Right there. As yeah, a Weller. Okay. Yeah, you got one. Yeah, but listen, but these you can find. And the Maker's Mark stuff, if you're looking for a weeded bourbon that that rivals or even, I think, bests Weller right now, this and your FAEO one, there's nothing like it in the business. Uh, Randy, let's talk about the Bourbon Festival because the Bourbon Festival, I mean, even just a couple of years ago, which I think is crazy, couldn't even serve bourbon at the festival because of local dry laws. It's come a long way since then. You've gotten more participation from distilleries than ever this year. And I just I just want you to, I could gush about this, but I want you to tell the story of what's happened since you've come in as president of the Kentucky Bourbon Festival and what people can expect this year. Well, and you're absolutely right, Tim, and we're excited. We're a 30-year-old festival. This is literally the 30th year that we've done this event. And for 28 of those years, there was no alcohol sampling directly from the distillery 
to the consumer. So if you're thinking of a wine festival or a craft beer festival, the thought of going to one of those and not actually being able to put sips to lips just amazes me in it. Uh, but it has a lot to had everything to do with not only the county, the dry laws, but statewide, the laws that prevented the distillery from bypassing the distribute and the uh, distribution and the retail. So we now, because we're a 501c3 charitable event, the distilleries can bypass that legally. And trust me, they put enough out through the distribution and retail that nobody's hurting, but they can carry on their products onto our venue. They can do direct sampling all weekend long with, with the consumer. And then they can either take home what they don't sample or hopefully they volunteer to donate it to me and I find a place to put it in my office, which you've seen. We have a pretty substantial sampling room there. So, um, but in so many ways, this is a first year festival that just happens to have that history. Um, it's for the first year ever, we're going to be a 21 plus event. We're a gated event, partially because of COVID restrictions that we carried through, but also because we wanted to be able to charge a $10 general admission, really control who's coming in. The distilleries have told us over and over again that they want qualified consumers that are actually there for the bourbon, not just there because of the community festival, which is what it has been. Um, it started off as an industry event, like a picnic, for all the distilleries and the, and the warehouse workers to get together and have a big, like the old days, a big company picnic, but it was just a community-wide event. And that was 30 years ago, 20 years ago, when bourbon was not cool. A lot of the master distillers, the old timers, you know, Jimmy Russell and Freddie No, or Fred No, excuse me, will talk about how they used, they couldn't give away bourbon. And uh, so we started out as this little celebration and then we branded our community as the bourbon capital of the world, which is Bardstown, Kentucky. And from there, we just literally have started to scale this thing towards more and more as the industry has gotten sophisticated and the consumer has gotten sophisticated, um, the festival was still stuck down here. So I was the fast forward button on that remote control to get us up to speed. And, and it's going crazy. I mean, we are the first bourbon festival out there in the world and we're one of the only truly focused on bourbon first and then everything else is second to that. But coming off of the COVID year, uh, we did virtual, which was less than ideal, but we did a really good job, I think, of some of that production. And we got a lot of audience that had never heard of us that are now aware of the live festival. Our tickets went on sale in March and some of them sold out in a matter of hours. And uh, we're actually sold out now. The entire event, 90 days before we actually well, opened then, the gates. Then why are you here out. promoting it, Randy? No one can get into the festival this year. There's a 2022 of a festival that I'm looking ahead at. In fact, all our dates are approved for the next two years. It's awesome. going to continue to be the third weekend in September, like we've always been. Um, but our advertising, uh, to your point, is literally shifting. I'm not running ads for a festival people can't get into. So I'm trying to make sure people mark their calendars and get their hotel reservations and make their plans to be here in 2022. But uh, it, you know you, you're going to be a part of this. And I think you probably would not have wanted to be a part of the event the way it has been in the past. And I mean that in all due respect to the people that have gotten it this far but it was straw bales, it was bouncy houses, it was funnel cakes, all true. Um, it was a family event, strollers and things like that. And you couldn't get, you couldn't get the whiskey at the festival. So that it's it's hard to, it's a hard sell. You got Maker's Mark with these uh, and Jim Beam and Heaven Hill with these amazing exhibits, but they're selling hats and t-shirts because they couldn't do alcohol. So yeah. we get through 20, 2020 and there's absolutely no good thing about the pandemic, right? Um, but the little silver lining was it allowed us that time to go talk to the distilleries, establish that rapport and trust, 
share my vision for this festival. And um, we've gone from losing distilleries that no longer wanted to be a part of the event because it wasn't aligning with their brand to three times the number of distilleries that have ever been involved. And they're all signed to two and three and four year contracts. So they're investors in what we're doing. They're sharing that vision um, and they're excited about it. And they literally have told me, thank God you listened. You heard us and you're, you're producing the event that we need to be. We can't, the festival can no longer be that community. Everybody come out to the beer garden and a stage uh, with music on. It has to be very serious. It has to be bourbon and the people who make it. And that's exactly what we've created. And it's, it's gone from a community event that, um, that people loved, the locals loved, uh, to a world-class event that truly in the matter of a couple of years is going to have an international profile. And this is the first year and you talking to me about it and being friends with me and, and, you know, working on that, it all are things that help drive this thing forward. So thank you for that. Yeah, whatever. I, uh, listen, I, you know, I, 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 have if you want. Because I mentioned bourbon on air once and you emailed me and I emailed you within like three minutes uh, to get back in contact with you literally as soon as I got off air when I was uh, doing a Sirius XM show. I, it's, it's crazy to me because what you've turned it into, what you've turned the festival into is exactly what I would expect from the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. It's sort of like a South by Southwest for bourbon nerds or a, or a you know, a Star Trek convention for Trekkies. I, so a, a lot of people know that, I mean, I, I don't want to be like I'm a bourbon expert, but really from experience and then getting the actual training at Moonshine University, uh, to become an executive uh, bourbon steward, which you are as well. Absolutely. Uh, I I very I have kind of established myself as a little bit of a, a, a bourbon expert. I have about 400 bottles in my collection. I geek out to this stuff. You know, when you know the names of the master distillers and the owners and and you know the history of bourbon, at some point it, it goes beyond just drinking. You know, when, when I picked, even today, like it was ironic that we picked our bottles for today. When I picked this, it's because number one, I knew that you were doing a little bit with them and, and you're very excited about it. But this is this is incredible juice compared to like, you know, a lot of people look, there's no knocking like a regular Jim Beam or a stable. I have a, a handle of Wild Turkey 101 on my bar all the time. A, a handle one of the best. Special reserve. One of like, the best. There's stuff, old granddad. There is stuff that like I can talk about for days. And I am going to be doing more of that as time goes on with my property, Let's Drink Bourbon. But this just... This to me exemplifies how far we've come in uh, 2021. And by the way, if you can't find the cast strength, even regular uh, Maker's Mark 46, again, I swear we're not sponsored by Maker's Mark here, but even regular Maker's Mark 46 is fantastic. I just, I can't get enough of this. I geek out about it. The fact that bourbon is such an art that these master distillers and the, really the science that goes into it between if you guys don't know this, like the yeast selection is like a crazy whole process for, for what these distilleries go through. Then finding the, the spots in the rickhouse where the barrels are placed, you know, how much you want to char the barrel. There's so much that goes into it. It's not like, you know, vodka. They're like, we're just distilling some vodka and we're going to put it in some bottles and you go after it. Bourbons, there is such a scientific and strenuous process to figuring it out that these folks who are master distillers, these experts, in, in the products that they have and, and their, their creations are people who I've become fans of. And when I show up to a festival, Sam brought it back to you, Randy. I, was I, waiting. Want to I want to talk to these nerds and I want to geek out about like, where'd you get this idea from? Where did this flavor profile come from? When you have products from Jim Beam, so Jim Beam uh, and their distillery, if you guys don't know this, 
encapsulates so many different products. You've got Knob Creek, you've got Booker's, and Booker's in particular is crazy to me. It's named after Booker, no. Booker's is the one that comes in a box. It's about anywhere from 80 to $120 a bottle, depending on what uh, liquor store might be trying to rip you off um, or, or charge you what it's supposed to cost. Booker's is a very high proof, 120 proof, that when you get into bourbon, and maybe I don't consume a lot of sugar, so I get a lot of my flavor profiles out of bourbon more than I would if I like had candy bars or whatever regularly. Booker's is a very high proof, usually about uh, above 120 proof, that has such a unique flavor profile, and they drop about five different uh, expressions every year, that you go and buy them all. As a nerd, I buy them all, and I drink them, and I'm like, holy crap, What? how did they come up with this? Meeting those people is what is crazy to me. And see, I'm geeking out right now. This is what's crazy to me about the, the Kentucky Bourbon Festival is that you get to meet these people in person. Randy, what kind of uh, events like that and, and experiences do people get to look forward to at your festival? Hey, I get, to, I get to talk. Oh, <laughs> shut up, Randy. Uh, no, but you're absolutely right. Literally uh, two blocks from my office, which is also the venue for this festival, are Fred No and Freddie No, father, son seventh and eighth generation master distillers with beam. I drive by their house every night when I'm coming home and beep the horn if they're out in the yard and wave at them, you know? It's just the main strip into Bardstown was once called Distillers Row because that was where all of the, the local family, the executives, the old timers had their family homes. And uh, so we've taken that name, Distillers Row, and that's now the main strip of our festival venue. When you walk in the gate, you're walking up Distillers Row and just like history, you've got Wild Turkey and Maker's Mark and Heaven Hill and Four Roses all lining that beachfront property. And uh, so you're going to see Harlan Wheatley with uh, Buffalo Trace and, and the Blanton's fame. You're going to see Danny Kahn with Barton 1792, which to get off of the Maker's Mark for a second, 1792 is putting out some of the best juice that they've ever put out. Uh, the Sweet Wheat, I found a bottle of the High Rye from them. They actually had to go into their own little prize closet to find me a high ride that I'd heard about because it's been off. You know, I've got a 225 sitting, 225 anniversary bottle sitting back here. Actually, two of them. I, I have one for you too, but um, I was going to be surprised. I was going to be on your pillow when you came in here for your turndown service next time. But, uh, um, but no, you actually will see them and you'll have Brent Elliott, who's be quickly become one of our best friends and um, Denny Potter with Maker's Mark. I literally, I'm sitting here on my couch at night and I'm texting back and forth with the master distiller from, from Maker's Mark. And, and he was with Elijah Craig Heaven Hill before that. And so literally the, the legends, Freddie No from Beam is texting back and forth. I was at my office the other night and I was drinking some of that Booker's and I sent it to him and it was the, the Chew, you know, from 2018. Um, probably a $400 bottle that I cracked open and I'm sitting and drinking because I, you know, I can, I'm the kind of guy that can, I can find more. Um, but uh, so that's, that's, that's what you're going to see. Plus this year, new first time ever, we've got, I think 14 or 15 craft distilleries. So it's not just about the big guys. This is the Kentucky bourbon festival, not the legacy brands bourbon festival. So, you know, we, we've got wilderness trail, Lux row, Mictors is coming in, angels Envy's coming in. We've got rabbit hole stuff going on, but then you dig down deeper and you've got bluegrass distillers. You've got William Tarr. We've got Luca Mariano that you've been a part of and nailed that barrel pick on the first try. We've got, um, it, it, it's just very cool that we actually have that log still distillery. Anybody who's been paying attention to not just the bourbon and distilling side of the business, but the bourbon tourism, you've heard of log still and you've seen the $30 million renovation and 
to, to their old family property that they're doing. So, and we've got everything. So when you walk in that front gate, you're going to see Maker's Mark and Jim Beam and Heaven Hill and go right down the line, but you're also going to be able to go deeper into the festival grounds and go and maybe hopefully get turned on to a new, a new distillery and, and some new, some new juice. So and that's 30, 36 distilleries. So that's, that's what I try to do when I, when I host for Sirius XM and I do the political stuff, obviously you've noted that I light up when I start talking about bourbon. But one of the things I like to do is, is bring up something else that is within reason as far as price goes that people should try. Um, you know, I, I don't like to go above $50 a bottle as far as like, I will spend lots of money for myself, but for people who are novices, who I assume everyone is when I talk on Sirius XM to a large audience, hundreds of thousands of people, I want to pick something that's in uh, in range. And I think the first bottle I pointed out was Old Granddad 114. And I, but number one, I get more emails about talking about bourbon than anything else that I do other than email from politics. Uh, and, and so many people tried Old Granddad 114 for, you know, $29 a bottle. And they were like, holy crap, we would have never thought to try this. One of the things you can do at the Bourbon Festival and what I'm excited about for a lot of folks who are maybe attending for the first time and if not this year, next year, is try all of these other products and don't get drunk, honestly. Uh, you know, it's it's fun to say, I'm gonna show up somewhere and get loaded. Please don't do that. I, I And I, I'm telling you this, why? Because there is such a significant difference in flavor profiles and so many things you can try that I would almost recommend, I hate to say it, and it sounds bougie, spit it out, taste it, spit it out. Because when you're up, uh, uh, above, and, and a lot of good stuff is above 100 proof, you taste the stuff. Don't get drunk. I get drunk very easily off of like two or three drinks. I'm not a heavy drinker. Right. And, and you know this, Randy, because I cut my finger off at your place, basically, when I was making a, an old fashioned recently. But how's it doing, by the way? It's grown back. Uh, people, wonderful. If they're listening to the audience, they can't see it. But uh, but you really want to take advantage when you go to the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. I want you to take advantage of the opportunity that you have to taste the product from so many different places and so many new places that you really, you, I mean, if you're going to get drunk, go get drunk, but you know, be safe about it, drink responsibly. But you really should kind of spit it out and take your time and taste all of these different things and, and pace yourself because you're, there's so much amazing stuff coming out of Kentucky right now that you'd really, I, I think you'd be at a loss if you, if you didn't, uh, if you got drunk and, and didn't get to really get the flavor profiles of everything. Am I right on that, well, Randy? You can, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. You're right, Tim. And and just think about this. 36 distilleries. Each one of them will have at least two products, some some three. Um, so you, you will have 70 to 100 different kinds of whiskeys to try. They also will be doing cocktails, either batched like old fashions in Manhattans or made to order for limited windows. So you will have upwards to hundred different products that you can sample. So yes, and they're, and they're very affordable. So one neat pour, a half ounce pour in the Glencairn glass that you get as part of your admission, a genuine Glencairn glass. I just ordered from Scotland uh, yesterday, um, 9,000 of them in fact, but you will get a chance for $5 which is lower than the price of a typical flight in a restaurant, uh, you will get a chance to, to sample all these things. And, and you know what, you're right. Everything they're gonna be sampling, you can go to retail. If you fall in love with this and you taste that cast strength 46, you don't have to drink it, drink it, drink it. You can drink it and then go buy yourself a bottle and get home and, and enjoy it. And that's the conversion obviously that the distilleries want. They want, they want to get new consumers 
and they want to get young consumers. So as you know, college kids are coming of age and they're, and you mentioned bougie. I mean, there's some people that are, I remember when I went from uh, old Milwaukee to, you know, Bud Light to finally getting into like Sam Adams um, or, you know, Blue Moon, I thought I had arrived, you know, Line and Kugels. You know, that was, you know, that, that, and likewise, when you then transfer well, into- about, Line and Kugels taste like Fruity Pebbles to me. All of them or just like the honey whites? Oh, the, the, the first one, the, the main product that they put out, I didn't know that there were multiples, but the very first one that they went national with tastes like Fruity Pebbles. Okay. I'm not an expert on beer. I'm an expert on bourbon. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, you'll have that opportunity. And so, also an expert on beer, and I just want to lay that out there. And he's very, he's very snobby when it comes to beer, and I, I appreciate that. I, I have, I can't get into beer, but I love bourbon. Go ahead. I don't like the word snobby, and I was corrected early on in my bourbon career that there are no bourbon snobs or bourbon enthusiasts. So I'm a beer enthusiast and a bourbon enthusiast, and I'm not. I'm going to ask you a question. It's going to get you in trouble. Okay. I'm leaning into the microphone right now. That means what's my favorite? No. Okay. If you're someone who wears an ascot and reviews bourbon, are you not a bourbon snob? So this maker's mark is amazing. <laughs> uh-huh. Go ahead, Randy. No, but the, the person you mentioned has been in conversations with us to to try to help the festival. And we want to obviously figure out some way of, of aligning with that individual. So that has yet to be determined, but no, I mean, it's, um, it's just really cool opportunity that we have here for the first time. The distilleries are excited. The, the ticket holders are excited. Uh, and I'm the one that's kind of the orchestra conductor. I mean, I've got a really great team of people around me. It's not me, although there are days that feel like it is just me. And, um, but no, I've got a really good team of people that are really tied into the into the industry, both on the spirit side, the culinary side. So very important piece of what we're doing is, okay, you've got this amazing roster of distilleries. What do you do with it? How do you pair it with food? How how do you and people want to learn? I mean, as much as that seems counterintuitive, we're as much of a classroom as we are a festival. So we've got twenty or more classes that'll include whether it's just storytellers, you know, let Fred and Freddie know, stand on stage and talk about growing up in a multi-generational, you know, distilling family. Cool. That's fun. But you can also go in and one of our distilleries prides itself on growing its own corn. So they're going to be doing four different varieties of their product with the cornbread that is made actually from the corn. So you're going to be drinking and eating the cornbread that's that's vertically in line with with the product. Those kind of things. Again, you should expect to get that from a bourbon festival. And I don't know that you ever really have before. So I'm just as excited about giving the educational uh, opportunities because this really is an immersion kind of an experience. You said 400 bottles you you you're a bourbon expert because you immerse yourself you're yes. learning you're learning the history and you're celebrating that history but you're also on in, into the contemporary production you know i get blown away when you think about you know like i'll use connor o'driscoll with heaven hill I mean, he's he's from scotland he or ireland excuse me ireland but and he comes out of the chemical engineering side of things so these master distillers are now scientists you think of back 150, 200 years ago, they're literally Kentucky hillbillies that were in their backwoods in a hollowed out wood, you know, tree stump distilling and tweaking with things to get the flavor. So, I mean, it just blows me away that they were able to do what they did before all the technology came into the process. So right now it's more about streamlining it and getting it consistent where 
everything they used to do hundred years ago was single barrels. It was every single batch tasted different, which is cool, but there was no consistency. You know, it was trial and error. They kind of dialed things in. They knew what they had done before that worked and some things that they vowed never to do again because it followed an entire batch. And you know how long it takes, you know, for, for a good whiskey to come around. But now they've got it into where it's it's about the consistency. So they dial in on a flavor profile and now they know how to make it over and over and over again. And uh, it's it's pretty amazing. And I, I, I'm also, I'm a, an immerse myself kind of thing. I, I came here to Kentucky to work with Churchill Downs at the Kentucky Derby. I never been to a horse race. Uh, I learned everything I could about the history of that track, the history of horse racing, the people. Well, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna stop you for a second, Randy, because I, I, that was gonna be my follow-up question to everything you were saying here is that like, honestly, I don't wanna say like you've become kind of like the, the ambassador for Kentucky on things, mm -hmm. but because I think you deny that personally because you're a humble person, but you were uh, chief of operations at Churchill Downs or the Kentucky Derby, what was your role there? Yeah, I was, well, senior director of operations. So, yeah. Okay. I was, so I, I ran the Derby. I did all the temporary things that were only there for during Derby. So, so that, hold on. Before you go into that, I, I, I just want to say, like, I think what you've done is incredible. And, and you realize your piece in American history here in promoting not just the Kentucky Derby, but now bourbon, which I, I think is much broader than just horse racing, even though the Kentucky Derby is the one horse race that everyone knows. Do you ever realize, like personally, what you've done in your career and, and what you've represented and, and what you've been able to, I mean, really exemplify uh, on behalf of America? Not until now. Thank you. I'm getting goosebumps. You know, I've never had that described that way. I've never thought of what I did as. as I mean, these no. iconic. You are you represented something with, with horse racing. The only race people really know, I mean, you can say Belmont. I know Preakness because I was in Maryland, Triple Crown, yada, yada, because I literally lived in Baltimore. But you have two very specific American, like iconic programs that you've, you've been in charge of. First with the Kentucky Derby, now with bourbon and the bourbon industry that comes out of Kentucky. I mean, granted, it's expanded like wildfire everywhere, but really – You've been this person in charge of promoting that stuff. And I want to know, like, now that I put you on the spot and, and you realize this because I know who you are as a character and I know who, as a friend, I know who you are. But I got you on the podcast now and now I got you. Uh, what's it feel like to be in that position? Because do you, have you and you just said you hadn't realized you were in that position, but you have been. And because you're good at what you do, you've been afforded these this much larger position. I mean, listen, this is like you. Like me as your friend, I'm a Mets fan. If you were like GM in the Mets, I'd be like, holy shit, that's my friend. But my friend is in charge of the the premier event in bourbon. And before that, he was in charge of the premier event in horse racing. Does that ever hit you? Or is it, I mean, I know well, that your job and you're working every day, but do you ever yeah. see that? Well, I do. I mean, when, when I stood my very first derby, I stood there literally opposite the, the little runway where the paddock, the horses come out onto the track and they come out on the track every single race for every single day. There's 72 race days at Churchill Downs. You were there for one. That tunnel is where every horse comes through. So on a day-to-day -day basis, you don't think in that of it. But when you're standing there and you've got literally 60,000 people standing there or sitting in the crowd, everybody's on their feet, everybody's yelling, and you see the same these horses coming out like you do every day, but you put in that extra layer of the fan. I mean, it hits you, 
And the first time that I was standing there and, and they sang my old Kentucky home, which is the tradition before the Derby, you could actually feel it. And I'm getting goosebumps on top of goosebumps right now. Cause I've stuck, I've stood on the start and finish line for the Indy 500 on 500 day. And it's an amazing thing. I love open wheel racing. It's American history, all of that, but standing there. And the thing that was different was that I put this on this show that is being seen by 20 million people, televised audience around the world and 165,000 people standing. So 65,000 in the stands, a hundred thousand behind me in the infield and everybody's singing. You can feel it. The jockeys will tell you on Kentucky Derby day, when they come off that back stretch and they hit the quarter pole as they're running, they actually can feel the wave of the fans yelling, feel it. That's, that's a little brief moment that I tried to capture and put away for, you know, the wow factor. But I mean, I, I, I got tear, I still get teared up because I know what it feels like to be standing there and having a choir of 65,000 people sing to you like that. So I, I allowed myself a couple of times to pinch myself. You know, I mean, I used to run one of the top 10 state fairs in the country in Wisconsin, 150 plus year tradition that predates even, you know, the, the Derby it's, predates a lot of this distilling stuff. So to have that, I went to, I lived in Gettysburg for four years and put on the 150th anniversary. So um, I guess not celebration, but the 150th anniversary of the battle of Gettysburg. So I was there, I lived on the edge of the battlefield. I mean, so I've been, I've been in some pretty cool, unique positions. I didn't know you did that. Oh yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, I started, in fact, I started I don't to watch a, off, but holy crap, Randy, keep going. I, I started a, um, craft beer festival in Gettysburg and it literally has like the you know the cannon and we did it on the grounds of the Lutheran seminary that was day one battlefield that was some of the bloodiest fighting of the three days and here we are doing a craft beer festival very respectful always mindful of that that heritage but Gettysburg struggles with um, it's always stuck in the history and there's a contemporary Gettysburg that is trying to emerge. So it's it's the current restaurants and the art galleries and a lot of the things like that. There's a really cool live music scene, but in a lot of ways that history had kind of squelched all of that. So when I came into town, my role was to celebrate the contemporary Gettysburg, but always against that backdrop of, of history. And everything we did was very respectful, but um, I'll never forget when I went to the Lutheran seminary, which is still an active Lutheran seminary um, with my idea of producing a craft beer festival there, I was expecting to get kicked out of the president's office and like literally shown the door, get out of here. And instead they had said, we have been talking about doing a craft beer festival. We just don't know how to do it. And I learned that Martin Luther and his wife were very avid homebrewers and so it just all made sense. And so we ended up producing this event and I'm all about experiences you can't get anywhere else. And I'm sorry, there are thousands of brew festivals out there. Some good, a lot of bad ones, but you can't do a, a high quality, you can't do a brew festival on the National Park Service. So I was next door, literally a shrub line divided me from National Park Service, National Gettysburg Battlefield and the seminary grounds, but you can't, nowhere else in the world can you do a beer festival with the sunset over the national park battlefield. And uh, so that's what I'm trying to do here in Bardstown with this festival is there, you can do a bourbon festival anywhere. Um, there's a lot of festivals that have bourbon and they're trying to capitalize on that piece, but 
they're not going to be in the bourbon capital of the world. They're not going to be what we're doing. And I don't say that in a cocky way. I'm saying that in, I respect that heritage. And I know that there's 11 distilleries within the immediate little radius and 70 within Kentucky. And I've got access to every one of them. I've got all the master distillers. I've got all the brand ambassadors. They're half of them, literally half of the distilleries in Kentucky will be here this year. And I'm hoping to get the other half uh, and chip away at that over the next three years. I'd love to have where I've got all 70 of these distilleries here in one form. But so I'm very cognizant of that fact that I'm doing something that that you can't get anywhere else. People are coming. It's a pilgrimage, you know, so it's like Mecca for bourbon. And uh, and you'll see, you'll see you'll be blown away, I hope. Yeah, well, yeah, and apparently I'm going to be doing uh, in the field. I don't, I don't know exactly. I just say, keep saying I'm like the media host of the festival because I'll be on the screens talking about it. But I, I just want you to, I, again, Randy. I just want you to realize, and and I know like uh, the podcast. I never know where these go. I just want to get to the personal side of things with people. Uh, yeah. I want you to realize that you have successfully taken on um, really a lot of American culture and, and making sure that people are aware of American culture. And you've been in these very, these great positions because of it. And by the way, in the middle of this whole conversation, um, America's native spirit. Sure. Don't get campy about it. Anyway, listen, here's the thing. Uh, your Lutheran cemetery in Gettysburg. I'm going to say this uh, because I, I've had this book for a while and I don't know what to do with it. I have an original printing of the life of Luther that is a few hundred years old uh, with all the original plates in it. And it is a critical uh, book for the Lutheran church. Uh, if you want to reach out to them, I, I'm not doing this for the podcast purpose, obviously, but if you want to reach out to them, I'd be happy to donate it to them. I got it from a Salvation Army. It is worth a few, I think a few thousand dollars and it sits in my closet. It's one of my favorite Salvation Army finds, but if a Lutheran, I think a Lutheran cemetery in Gettysburg would uh, be worthy of just me giving it to them. Uh, what, is, what is the title of it? I missed that. It's Life of Luther. Oh, it yeah, is yeah, yeah. The, the uh, biography of Martin Luther that has been used as a um, not it's not the Bible, but it is a uh, a very strong document in the Lutheran church. So if you want to reach out to them, I'd be happy to donate that to oh, them. Um, absolutely. And the cool thing about Martin Luther, because I'm all about the vertical marketing. It's like, OK, now we're on the. 230 year old campus the literally if you've ever watched the movie Gettysburg which they take a lot of Hollywood latitude you know but the the cupola on top of this seminary building that we're speaking of was occupied by both General Lee and the, the Union generals I mean obviously uh, the guy's name escapes me now but one of the main the the Union version of General Robert E Lee was killed on the day one on the the footprint of this festival grounds like you know the seminary but but you start digging into that he had a quote that was i'm going to paraphrase but it, it was verifiable through the lutheran archivists that martin luther said those who drink beer go to bed early those who go to bed early sin less so drink more beer and that's basically the 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 thought and course mark twain has made some famous comments about bourbon and cigars and so we're kind of incorporating some of those historical pieces just to kind of show that this is not just a fad that this has been very deeply rooted in american history and americana itself so um but no i i do i i take i can step back i mean you're kind of a fanboy and you know and and you're like if you do you ever realize how cool your job is yeah i do but i mean it is a job 
and I'm surrounded with a lot of really good people that are into it. So it's not the Randy show. I might be the the person that has yeah. like the vision and I've got to be that the engine and trying to make sure this happens. And, um, but honestly, I'm already looking at 2022 and 23. I already know what 22 is going to look like. Cause I know what 21 is going to look like. Um, someone has to do that. I I've always had that ability to, to do it. And, you know, some people are singers and some people can play a guitar. Some people can do media and do interviews and sustain a show for three hours at a time. And with very little or no prep preparation. Um, and, then, and then some people just have a knack for, you know, if, if somebody wanted to do the world's largest salt and pepper shaker festival, I can do it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the same thing. If you're a wedding planner, People are like, oh, you're an event planner. Well, yeah, basically, I used to brussel it. I used to be, oh, no, I'm not a wedding planner. But yeah, I am. That's the same process to put on the Kentucky Derby as it is to put on a wedding, as it is. To, it's just a different scale. And, you know, it's a little different audience. I'm, what I was doing was for 20 million people. And if you screwed up, then the whole world saw it. And the jockeys, one little side piece, the jockeys would come out. And there's always the video in the jocks quarters, which, by the way, was next door to my office. So I could, like go through this doorway and I'm in the jocks locker room. But when they come out and they, and the cameras are in front of them and they're coming down those stairs, those stairs are temporary. They're not there any other time of the year. We take a piece of the railing out and build this scaffolding. Well, my first Derby, the company that we use for scaffolding brought us this rusty, dirty scaffolding that looked like it had been sitting in the back storage lot. And, and I literally almost fired them on the spot. I said, do you have any, any idea what this scaffolding represents? To you, it's a piece of scaffolding like you do at PGA or anything else. But for me, it's the televised moments of these 20 jockeys descending onto the ground into the historic paddock. And one of them in a matter of 15 minutes is going to ride into history. And so we owe them a better set of stairs to walk into history on. I mean, that's the way I approach it. And maybe you look at it as it's a little too dramatic or whatever, but it's not I, no, no, no. I, watched, I grew up watching the Derby. My parents still watch the Derby. You know, I watched the Derby and, and I know every little inch of that place. And, you know, you and I went there and there are still people there that think I work there, you know, even though I've been gone for a year or two, but um, anyway, it's just, I take that very seriously that we're, creating a show that has to be perfect and a lot of eyes are on that thing so and it comes back to me if something doesn't look right guess what it's me yeah no i dude you you get it and and i just i just wanted to put into perspective that your your place in american history is one where you may not get the recognition you deserve but you've some really incredible stuff and at some point i really do think just side note we end up at that Lutheran uh, seminary in Gettysburg together, grabbing a beer and handing off that Life of Luther book to uh, whoever heads it up there. I don't know anything about the Lutheran church. I just have this crazy old book. No, and my legacy, and I still have friends from Gettysburg, and I moved away in 2015 or 2014, excuse me, to come here to Churchill. And I still have friends that thank me for that legacy of the the brew festival i mean that literally was like the coolest thing for some of these people and i remember i was at a chamber one of those after hours networking events and we had just announced the the brew festival and these two guys were standing there like well we've been talking about doing a brew festival for years how are you going to do it and i said well that's the difference you talk about it i do it i mean i'm always first out of the blocks first to market i'm very aggressive that way and you know, the first year we had 35 breweries, which doesn't seem like a lot, but for a small town of 6,000 people and, you know, to have 35 breweries and that has gone then to 50 and now 70, 
and the tickets sell out in the matter of hours. And we're selling out 1,500 to 2,000 tickets for our three and a half hour event. And uh, they do it because there's quality. And, and that I started it, but my friends, I taught them how to do it and I felt comfortable walking away. And you know, it's like a child. Every one of these events is, is like a child to me. And um, so I, I, hope, I hope I'm here for a long time. I've got plans to not only make this thing, and this could be a three year to, to fully convert it to the world-class event. I mean, people talk about the Charleston Food and Wine Festival, the Napa Wine you know, that's where we're going with this. But considering that 2018, 19 was is this kind of a community festival with no with no liquor sampling to what we're doing this year, three years from now, two years from now, it's going to be uh, it's going to be an amazing event. But it's always the distilleries that are driving this. This, is, this yeah. isn't Randy's show. It's me listening to the distilleries and giving them what they want. So when you come to this festival, you're not going to see Randy's vision. You're going to see Randy's interpretation of what the distilleries have said we need to be to be relevant to them. So. It's not just you listening to distilleries. It's you listening to fans and fans like me and and combining the two and and your skills bringing that together. Uh, I think this is I'm in a sweet spot. You know, I'm in that sweet spot where it just happened that the distilleries and the enthusiasts desires and demands for a festival experience are the same. If, if the distilleries wanted this and the consumers enthusiasts wanted this, then it's a little bigger stretch to how do I bring that together? But they're literally this close. I'm just that last little bridging that gap. And it, it's, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I'm, I'm fortunate to be a part of that and, and fortunate to be your friend involved in this as well. I, I just, you know, I think this is a good point to stop. And I'm doing this for a reason because I think I could talk to you all day long. I think your experience, what you've done is incredible. And, and again, the Kentucky Bourbon Festival this year is September 16th through 19th, uh, 2021. It's sold out because of this guy and all of the, the distilleries getting back involved with it and the excitement around it. There's going to be nothing like it. It is the world's premier bourbon festival and Kentucky bourbon festival and will continue to grow. So here's the thing. If you're listening to this right now, maybe something, maybe, I don't know. I don't know if people are like hustling tickets for this or whatever on StubHub or whatever to get in. But if you can't get your ticket to it, 2022 is going to be bigger. It's going to be more expansive. I can only imagine where it goes from here. Um, and I'm excited to for, for Randy, not only because of what he's doing for something I'm a huge fan of, but for me, because I'm going to keep like high-fiving Randy and being like, Hey buddy, what do I need to send you to be, you know, in your, in your good graces. Cause I, I want to continue being a part of this and, and being a part of this community because really it's so rare to be able to just jump into something that you're a fan of. And, you know, like a lot of people have had that opportunity with comic books and things like that, but mine is bourbon and, and Randy has really provided that opportunity for me. And so thank you, sir, for that. But, uh, you know, Tim, when the day that I was listening to you guest host on Sirius XM and I heard the word bourbon and I literally spun around and turned the volume up and and I was emailing or twi tweeting you while you were on the air and literally you replied. I mean, I had was in the car at that point and you had just ended the show and my phone lit up. And so the, the friendship this rapport professionally and personally has evolved. And just because you said the word bourbon on air and I, uh, my ears perked up. So um, I appreciate you. I've, I've enjoyed getting to know you and it's only been a few months, but I mean, you've been to my house a few times and you're always welcome here. And I, I'm going to get you more and more involved in the industry side of things too. So 
Um, it sucks. Oh my, oh my gosh. Maybe, maybe some distillery. Let me hold up this. Maybe some distillery that I can speak on behalf of might want me to be an ambassador at some point. Um, I just, I gotta tell you, I, again, it's super weird to be like, I've had great opportunities in politics and, um, and, and other things. And, and I won't get into it in TV and comedy and whatever else, but this one is just so much, it's so much fun and it's so cool to be a part of it. And congratulations, sir, on your success this year. And I've seen it. I'm not going to go into numbers and things like that. Your board can see that, but your success and what you've done, and I know how hard you've worked and how you work constantly to do this stuff. And again, like I got an hour out of your day today and I understand how crazy your schedule is, has been remarkable. Um, and, and honestly, walking around and I, I don't, I, I gush about, it's my podcast, I can do whatever I want. Uh, walking around the Kentucky Derby with you and people, the respect people have for you there, the current uh, you know head of operations there and things like that. Like again, it's another one of those things where I walk around with you with bourbon stuff. I'm wild. I got to walk around with you at the Kentucky, uh, not the Kentucky Derby, at Churchill Downs. Mm -hmm. And I was wild. And man, like the respect that you've garnered because of your hard work and what you believe in is remarkable. And a lot of people should hope to reach that level in their careers wherever they are. Uh, well, you know, I, I grew up on a dairy farm, six generation family dairy farm, seven days a week. My parents never got vacations or whatever. And I was a bratty teenager. All my friends were city kids and I was complaining about work, work, work. And my dad said, hey, kid, one day you're going to be able to work half days. And then he paused. And he says, you just need to figure out which 12 hours you want to work. And, you know, that resonated with me. And it has really been the core of my work ethic all along. You know, Churchill Downs, beginning March 1st through Mother's Day, the weekend after Derby, it's seven days a week. When I worked there, I got Easter Sunday off. And otherwise, it was seven days a week, 12, 14, 16-hour days. And you know what? Every minute of it was worth it. And uh, so, I mean, it, it's very humbling to be in this position and, you know, an hour of my day, whatever. I mean, this could be 11 o'clock at night. I'd still be sitting right here doing emails and crafting this thing with a lot of help from a lot of people. So any, anytime somebody sings my praises, I always accept it on behalf of the team that you don't see. And uh, don't be football player, don't, don't be the football player. Come on, man. You're awesome. Take, take the compliment from me and then tell the team later that okay. it's the team. I get it, but I hate it when I see the football player that's like, well, you know, everybody or the baseball player, well, you know, everybody else contributed. Oh, shut up, Randy. You're really good at what you do. People respect you, I guess. and you've had a lot of success, and I wish you continued success for it. And that's where we're ending the podcast, because you're not allowed to add on to that and be humble at this point. You're going to take the compliment and then shut up. That's what I do to my friends. Sir, here's your drink. Cheers to you. There's a little in there. You, can, you can't see it for all this cool. There's not, much, there's, there's not much left in mine, and I poured another one in the middle of this. But uh, I have to go back to work to the success. I have Thanks. no work to do the rest of the afternoon. I have Thanks, calls man. with have calls with lobbyists that they can deal with me a little buzzed on delicious stuff from Maker's Mark. Thank, Thank you guys you. for listening. Share, subscribe, like it. And uh, you know what? Try to get your tickets to the 2022 Kentucky Bourbon Festival because this guy sold out the 2021 one. So I don't need to September 14th through the 18th, by the way. I'll be there in some form or, other, uh, or the other. We'll see where we are. It's going to be Cheers. a house here. See you soon. Thank you, Randy. 
The difference between high quality recording and making it sound like you're in an empty room is simply turning on your microphone, and I didn't do that during that interview, so I'm very sorry about that. It was a good interview, though. I really liked talking with Randy, and you should go to the Kentucky Bourbon Festival September 16th through 19th. This year, coming up, if you can get tickets, I believe it is, as I said, completely sold out, so maybe check, take a look at 2021 as this continues to expand. And uh, make sure you grab a good bourbon this weekend, hang out with your friends, enjoy Independence Day. I will see you next time. This is the No Things Considered podta- podcast. I can say podcast. I'm not even drinking. the podcast we'll talk to you soon like share and subscribe thanks so much